Good to see you. Welcome. If you'd like to stand with us in worship and have a word of prayer before we begin. Lord Jesus, we thank you for all that you are, all that you accomplished, all that you're accomplishing around us. Praying that we would be able to savor you today as you come. Some of us Christmas is a hard time. It's a first Christmas without somebody or it's a bad reminder of things that happened in the past, and it's like one day for some of us, and it's a joyful day for many of us, so regardless of how we come in today, regardless of yesterday being Christmas, help us to savor you, because that's our, that's our joy to be able to do anytime, when we think of you, when we pray, when we read our Bible, when we come to church and hear your word, we focus our hearts and our understanding in on you, and help us to hear your truth today, and may it work within us by your hand as you are a carpenter of our souls and we come with us as our confession and our plea thank you for your marvelous grace that makes it all possible and your, your goodness your kindness thank you for your wonderful name we pray amen Jesus 
Have a seat, everyone. Well, you survived. You made it. You made it through Advent. You made it through Christmas. You made it through the American Winter Festival, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you guys are here. You're alive and kicking, and um, you should give yourself credit for being able to get through the month of December. Is it just me, or was this the wackiest year for Christmas? I don't know. Uh, we, um, instead of uh, going home and throwing snowballs at each other, <clears throat> we went outside and lit a fire in the fire pit and sat around there with uh, basically hardly any coats on. And never had that happen before, so that was new. Um, just so many different things that are not typical. As we've gone through this month, I know that a lot of people have been dealing with COVID, and that's obviously been something of great concern for our church. We've had a lot of people that have been involved in different aspects of the development of uh, the, the unfolding of what we do here uh, in worship and what we do to serve the community. And a lot of people have been taken out through the process of, um, of just the transmission of, of uh, germs and things like that. And it's just, been, it's just been different. But the one thing I can assure you is that all that aside, there is no contest when it comes to any challenge that is directed towards Jesus. He is Lord, he is risen, and he will always be Lord, King of kings, Lord of lords, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And if anything, despite the instability or the lack of um, consistency in our world, the one thing that remains the same is him. And the beautiful thing about him is that he is with us. And that's what we celebrated during the month of December. And hopefully that's kind of come home for you guys in a very deeply personal way. 
So we're getting ready to get into the message. Uh, we're going to go into like part two of, book, of the book of Luke. But before we get there, I'd uh, just like to pray about a few things. Um, and I just want to start by asking if there's anyone here who has anything on your heart that is a, that is a matter of uh, uh, celebration or a matter of uh, concern that, and burden that you want to share with the body so that we can keep that lifted up in prayer. Uh, so I'll just put that out to you guys. Anything that... You're just tired. <laughs> All right, that's fine. Uh, we're good with that. Um, but hey, Jerry. Hey. Um, my brother-in-law, Scott Williams, had a heart attack. Oh, my. Okay. Okay. Some artery cleaning. Okay. That's one way to put it, for sure. So your brother-in-law, Scott Williams, uh, who had recently had a heart attack, we'll keep him lifted up. In, anyone else? All right, Diane? Rachel. Yeah, Rachel uh, Yokely, who, surely you know her, um, uh, has uh, had a lot of water dumped on her fire, so to speak. But uh, she's a, boy, she's a, she's a fighter. And uh, she's been hit by COVID twice. Her work has been hit with it. And they, um, if you're not aware of, of much about her, I, I think it's safe to share that uh, her and Brent own a business where they, they care for elderly people. And uh, they've had four of them pass away from COVID and, and this has hit them like the loss of a family member. So they've been really, really heavy on our hearts lately because of that. And obviously, uh, it, the stress has just compounded everything in her life. Uh, she's had to go to the hospital, and um, we're very concerned about her. And just ask that you keep her lifted up in prayer. And by the way, Diana, it's great to have you back with us because I know that you had a lot of plans for December, and it kind of uh, uh, was redirected, shall we say. And uh, you're, you're off and running again. So praise the Lord for that. Okay. Anyone else? Okay. Uh, well, we're just going to go ahead and take... Oh, what was there... Jill? Sure, yeah, it was, I thought it was a really good way to kind of bring us into the celebration on Christmas Day for our families. Everyone did a fantastic job. And the boxes were good. And the boxes. I need to take this one home with me and, and probably just work on it a little bit because uh, uh, it, um, it definitely is one of those gifts that uh, hopefully can um, work in a in a in a in a long-term way. Well, it was really good to go through this experience together from Luke again, and uh, we're gonna draw draw from that a little bit during the message time. Um, but yeah, and I, I I wasn't personally a huge fan of the little drummer boy, but all of a sudden after after Friday night, boy, I tell you, Christian Bryan did a fantastic job uh, uh, with. Uh, Preparing to uh, 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 basically um, setting the setting the tone for us 
uh, to bring our gifts before the Lord. So I don't know if Christian's with us today, but um, good job, my friend, and everybody else for that matter. Well, I'll try to dial it in here a little bit, so let's go ahead and, and bow and uh, take this moment before the Lord. Lord Jesus, we know that we live in a new reality because you have entered into the picture and you have changed everything. Lord, we know prior to that, it was like the evil one entered into the picture and 20 people left the room. It was suffocating and dehumanizing. And when you saw us in that state, you saw fit to just hand deliver the good news by embodying it in your person. And we thank you for that story that defines our lives um, and in, in ways that, 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 that resource us for all the challenges that we face. And Lord, we know that it is the rhythm of rituals and of, 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 of the seasons of the calendar that help us to keep our identity intact, to not be disconnected and unmoored, but rather rooted and grounded in the story that we read so, so often in the Bible and yet re-dramatized to make it come alive again. And I just pray, Father, that in the course of the unfolding of Advent and what we celebrated on Christmas Eve, that that would set the tone for what we have as we turn the corner into 2022. Lord, only you know what that year looks like. We have hopes and anticipations for what we can imagine that it will be like. And we have struggles that we've brought through this past year that we hope will subside. But regardless, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a faithful and abiding presence here to walk with us through whatever, whatever is thrown our way. And not only that, you are an encourager in ways that run deep into our very being. And we thank you in that way because in the month of December, with so much going on that is directed towards you and the hustle and the, and the activity and the stress and the broad range of emotions, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're the centerpiece of that whole experience. And Lord Jesus, as we move into this new year, we pray that we could be rooted and established as a church, not only identifying with you and seeking to embody in the way that you did the expression of, of, of humility before the Father and graciousness towards each other and the desire to do your will and fulfill your purpose. So I pray that for our church as we move into this new year. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you help us with the pastoral things that are still lingering and our hearts and our minds as we think about COVID and the impact that it's had on so many people and so many of our own people. And we know, Father, you are in the business of working things together for good, ways that we can't totally comprehend, but we trust, Lord Jesus, that even in the midst of these deep struggles that you are there, not only walking beside, but leading through and, and even leading us to a place where from it, um, we are stronger people. So I pray for Rachel and I pray for uh, Jerry's brother-in-law and just the, the stress that these families are, are dealing with regarding the, the, the health concerns that are in play. I pray, Father, uh, uh, just, a, just a prayer of praise for being with our people during this season, for helping them with all the things that have gone unmentioned, that are hidden, that yet are carried in their hearts into a place like this. 
I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have answered so many prayers in so many ways. There are things that we can celebrate, like Gail Hill and her recovery and her healing and her new job and just an example of what we see your hand doing in our lives. And we trust that hand to continue to work in ways that surprise us. And Lord Jesus, as we come into your word, we pray that you would bless it. As it unfolds again into our lives, we think about who we are in you and what you have to say in this moment. And I pray, Lord Jesus, as we take this moment and we've marked it on our calendar as the first day of the week, we ask that this would be a moment where you speak to us and as your messenger that you would speak through me. And in that request, we ask that we would be aligned in heart and mind as we pray the prayer that you taught us. Would you pray with me now the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, you guys ready to get to work? Because I think that's what's going to happen here. As God begins to speak to us through his word, he's shaping and changing, encouraging, helping, guiding. All those things are happening um, in, um, in the encounter that we have with his word. And I don't think today is any exception. So if you would, do you mind turning in your Bibles if you have it, or we can at least look on the screen if you like, uh, to Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 28. And as you're doing that, uh, I want to kind of set this up a little bit uh, by just reflecting on what it's like to be married to a school teacher. Because every day there is a moment at the end of my wife's um, uh, workday where she has to decompress. And a lot of times it involves her interaction with the students. And sometimes it can be um, pretty serious, and sometimes it can be just downright comical. And if you're a teacher, maybe you, you can relate to this. And if you're in elementary school, my goodness, these kids are still trying to figure it out. They're putting words together. They're trying to figure out their meaning. They're taking what they see at home, and they're trying to figure out how it relates to what they're doing here. And... Um, and so, you know, I just wanted to share just kind of some anecdotes of how that plays out. For example, a teacher says, do you like to do your homework in the morning, after school, or at night? And the student replies, well, my mom does my homework, so I don't even know how to answer the question. So you get that kind of candor that I'm sure the mom is thinking, oh my goodness, I'm mortified now. And then there was another student who complained one time uh, because, a, because a, a, a former friend had called them the E-word, and the teacher didn't know what that was, so she asked, and uh, she replied, idiot. And so um, you got that kind of thing going on, and then um, you get pretty, inter pretty funny ones that I, I and this is indicative of the kind of response I don't know my ancestors because I'm only eight. But when you were alive during the pilgrim time, did you know my ancestors? So you get that kind of stuff, which is very rich. 
And uh, just, just a couple of more. Um, after a stressful day, I declared out loud that I had had it for the day. One of my precocious pre-K girls said to me, Oh, Mrs. S., you just need a wine cooler. Well, that may be something that is a prompt from at home, but may not necessarily be appropriate for, the, for that, that context. Uh, I'll, I'll just offer one more, two more. Uh, one is um, uh, the, uh, the student came up to the teacher and asked, Is everything on the Internet true? And the teacher replied, Well, no, I'm sorry, it isn't. And then the, the student responded, but what if I use a smartphone? <laughs> All right, now put yourself in that, that, that age bracket and it'll be even funnier. Here's the, the, the last one that has always gotten me. And that was, there used to be a secretary that worked at my wife's school whose name was Mrs. Miller. And um, she was, uh, 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 my wife was asked one time what the name of the secretary was, and my wife said, well, our, our secretary's name is Mrs. Miller. When you go to see her, call her Mrs. Miller, and I think this will be settled. And so when the student saw Mrs. Miller in the hallway, she said, hi, Mrs. Military, and um, just contracted Miller, secretary into one beautiful word, military. Now, I don't know if she was military or not in the way she did things, but I remember always calling her Mrs. Military from that. But where it gets kind of sad is you will have kids that she'll talk about having a really good just developmental process happening as they learn and they grow and they cooperate and they do all these things and then all of a sudden things change and you start to see them get withdrawn or maybe they get angry or they start to act out and then you get a chance during the teachers conference to meet the parents and then you find out that there was something going on in that child's world or that family's world they may have lost a grandparent or something happening that is unseen it is it is really behind the curtain that has changed and influenced everything in that child's life so much so that their learning trajectory um, was 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 completely redirected and teachers obviously bring a personal level of concern to that and clearly um, say a lot of prayers for kids that have to go through the traumas and the tragedies of life and as you think about the kids and what's going on in their home life a lot of times, or sometimes rather I'll say, that one of the responses is that kid has so much potential, but their home life is just so distorted that they'll probably never be able to live a good life. And that really is perhaps the most gut-wrenching part of that vocation, I'm sure, as she's shared that. But I also think about it through the lens of a pastor, where I know that we're not really talking about uh, education in terms of elementary school, but really how education in terms of learning about the good news of the gospel is so revolutionary in changing that thing that is going on in the background of your life and mine that nobody sees. 
but yet has a tremendous amount of influence. And for some of us, it's uh, the fact that we had a, a traumatic moment not too long ago, and it's impacting how we're looking at life. And I have a friend who was in a car accident uh, this past year, and it took her actually a few months to even tell me that she was in it. She was so affected by triggering the, the, the moment all over again that she couldn't bring it up, and it kind of affected every other part of her life. And when Jesus came into our world, he had the unique I guess, position of sitting in that one chair in the universe that is able to look out and see not only what is happening on the surface, but also recognize what is happening behind the curtain. And it could be something as, and I will, as, as, as just simply causal as, as a trauma or a tragedy that has really just put a, a cast on everything that you see on the road ahead. Or it could be even darker forces that are at work trying to influence and redirect our humanity in such a way that we no longer reflect God's image in, in, in a way that brings him glory. And when Jesus is looking at each of us, in some ways we're kind of like those elementary students because at times we get our concepts a little bit mixed up we get our vocabulary a little bit twisted around and our way of understanding who God is and the difference that he makes well um, it, it, it needs some work and as we've gone through the book of Luke our hope is that we've been able to clarify a lot of things for how we should live our lives how we should relate to one another how we should approach the Lord and how approachable he really is. And I hope that as we go into this part two of, of, the, of the book of Luke, we learn some things that will actually help us along the way as well. So I wanted to read uh, Luke chapter 11, uh, beginning with verse 14, and kind of pick it up with there. It says, Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste or cannot stand, and a divided household falls. And if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom has come to you. And then he goes to illustrate what he's just said. If we're like, if you're like me, you're like, okay, what, what are you saying, Jesus? So he describes it like this. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he has trusted and divides his spoils. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me 
scatters. And when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell with him there. I'm just going to stay right there for a minute. And just bring this to maybe a little bit different perspective. Uh, because we're talking about things that we don't really talk about. I mean, have you ever gone to the hospital and said, I've got this problem, I think I've got demons? What would they say? A lot of them would say, don't believe in that stuff. Others might say, well, I kind of believe in that stuff, but I can't really talk about it here. And then there's other, others of us, when we hear that word, we're like, I'm not sure what to do with that because I don't actually have a category for demons. And it seems like I'm not really aware of their activity as much as just seeing dramatically how it's portrayed in like The Exorcist or shows that came out uh, in the 70s that led up to all the shows that you see about the supernatural today. And you wonder sometimes if we've kind of lost the language for that. And in Jesus' day, it actually was one of those things that people were well aware that there are spirits that are malevolent that are in alignment with satan's purposes and their sole desire is to find a body or a person that they can well they can interact with or through because they can't really as a spirit do anything in this world now i could probably just preach 10 sermons on this but we're just going to just do a very quick uh, uh just brief introduction to it by saying that in that day a lot of times when you felt powerless, you would go to somebody who was, well, they were kind of involved in witchcraft or they were um, a witch doctor or Sangoma or depending on what part of the world you're at, there was always a person who was a healer and by design they would access the spirits and if you needed power in your life for whatever reason to make your job work well, to be more, more lucky or to, to find a wife or to... Uh, put a curse on somebody, people were doing that. And it was very common, as it has been all over the world, apart from the modern world. And it seems like, because it's happened everywhere on the planet, that you could conclude that there is something about the unseen that is influential, so much so that people who are really paying attention recognize that um, they can access power through it. And even, you know, lately I've had people ask me about crystals and the role that crystals can play in maybe creating a better sense of well-being or having more power or more control in my life. So I know all that stuff is out there. And we're actually moving into a place in our modern way of life where people are very open to it. My wife was actually at a store the other day and she saw the necklace of a gal and she commented on it, and uh, the gal said, yeah, this is not a, you know, this isn't a, this isn't a star of David. It's actually a, a Wiccan star. And she asked her, she said, do you, where, where do you go to participate in that? Well, she said there are two places in Salem where people engage in, in, in that kind of activity. But the one that I prefer is the one up in Cleveland, which is a lot better, and obviously um, it's, uh, it, it's able, it enables her to access whatever power that person needs in their lives through that means and for many people it's just a benign thing trying to find power beyond the powerlessness of their lives and so they end up going
going to these places. Now, what happened in Jesus' day was probably not unlike that. And the people that were powerless, who felt overwhelmed, who felt defeated, who felt out of control of their lives, sometimes they would go to these places that were actually forbidden, but they were there. And people would give them a means by which they could access that power. And oftentimes what it would mean from Jesus' point of view is that they would latch on. And they would, through consent, be allowed to become a part of their life. And for some, it, it got weird. And I don't really know the biography of the person that is being described in this picture, but clearly they had lost their voice. They lost their ability to speak, to express, to say what was on their heart and their mind, and everybody knew it, and a lot of people suspected, well, serves them right for getting involved in the stuff that they got involved in. And there's just a whole lot of stuff that is about that aspect, that layer of their culture that we could go into. But for the message today, I, I, I hope that we can, we, can, we can focus not so much on, well, now, Pastor, you got my mind reeling like I got a thousand questions. And there's a very simple response if you are fearful or concerned or afraid. And we've been celebrating him for at least a month. And we're going to connect the dots between the power of evil and the power of Jesus and the people that are at work in either keeping his mission going or working against it. If you guys were here on Christmas Eve and the, the Sunday prior, one thing that we mentioned that I, I'm going to bring back is when the angels appeared in Luke 1, they told um, the willing parties, we think about Zechariah, and we think about Mary, and we think about the shepherds, that the birth of our Savior is for everyone. There's not one person in their world on this planet that the Savior had not come to rescue. And as that message unfolded, it, well, it unfolded in an upside-down way. And if you're here on Christmas Eve, we talked about the shepherds. And I've always had this question. Why? Because uh, no sober Jew would talk to a shepherd generally because they're the ones who just sort of ended up in the dregs of society, many of them. And yet, of all the people that God reached out to, it was them. And as we explored that a little bit, the biggest antagonist that Jesus would have in the course of his ministry were, interestingly enough, the shepherds. Not those shepherds, like Okay, you guys, you're cramping my style. You better find a, an AA group, or you better get delivered, or you better step up your game, or you better... No. He saw them as disconnected from the things of God, and he was there to reconnect them. No, the shepherds that we talk about in the opposing parties were actually the religious leaders. And it really is on right here. 
because Jesus recognizes that there is a long tradition of the shepherds versus God rather than for God. So much so that even the prophets spoke out against the shepherds and said, you're basically taking this religious institution with all of its power and all of its money and all of its access, and you are using it for your own gain, and then you're bottlenecking the access that people have to God. And to make it an even greater travesty, they would take the money that was gathered at the temple for the welfare of the community when it was needed in, in emergency, and they would access it in ways that compa are comparable to a credit card today, only they didn't have to repay it. And Jesus saw that, and he was calling them out because they had taken something very sacred, and that is the devotion of the people of God to the God that they worshiped at the temple. And they were looking at that as an opportunity to get rich and get powerful and to control the people. And when Jesus came and they spoke to the shepherds, I think it was right out of the gate a decree that the things of the Lord, when it comes to the coming of the Messiah, are going to center on the people that have been disconnected and then work from there. That the shepherds who heard the word were actually more in line, more in line with the heart of God. And I think it was a statement that the bottom dwellers in the eyes of society who when they came to that place where they realized that they could access God once and for all, that they could see the face of God in the face of Jesus, that they could have a renewed sense of hope in their defeated sense of hopelessness, they were on fire. I wish somebody had written like a story like, what happened to those guys? I mean, what really happened over the next decade? Where were they at with Jesus? Because I got to think that they were on fire. They probably were part of the first church. And as Jesus is walking into really a hornet's nest, it's the bad shepherds that are starting to push back. And Jesus wants to make a declaration to them. If you're not for me, then you are against me. And it is on. And how does he do that? Well, it's sort of incidental, but he goes up to a person who is mute and everybody knows that this person is being locked down by some kind of demonic force. And he calls it out. And the person for the first time in who knows how long had a voice. And everybody marveled. And the shepherds looked at each other and said, this is concerning. Because obviously he's in line with the devil. And Jesus is so good about kind of setting his own kind of traps. Because essentially what he said was, these guys are saying I do it in the name of Beelzebul, which is, does anybody know what the meaning of Beelzebul or Beelzebub is? Anybody? It means Lord of the Flies. Now how would you like, <laughs> how would you like to be Lord of the Flies? I mean, look at me, I'm the Lord of the Flies. How many of you have said, I, I really would like to be a fly on the wall? Anybody? Well, I got some bad news for you if you do. Because here's the problem with a fly on the wall. 
the fly does not have ears. They don't. Flies don't have ears. They got lots of eyes, and they see in all directions. But they're actually not hearing a thing. So you could sit there all day long, and the juiciest stuff could be happening, and you're just a dumb fly on the, fly on the wall. So that doesn't work. That's a ridiculous image, but I think it's equally ridiculous to think about how Beelzebul is, in this case, Satan, Lucifer, the one who was supposed to be the light bearer. I got another, just another sidebar question for you guys. What is another name for, what was an old school name for matches? Lucifers. Now, did you get that when you lived in the UK? Okay, so they call them Lucifers over there. Hey, got Lucifer for, uh, for my smoke, right? So stick match, cancer stick, it's all good, right? Okay. When I first got in trouble with the law, and I think it's maybe the only time I ever got in trouble, it's because of Lucifers. You guys can connect your own dots. But we were sneaking matches out of our parents' matches collection and seeing what potential fire had. And I learned one day what that potential was when the fire department, the police officers, my dad, the owner of a construction company, had a pool of oil on their pavement erupt into flames. And a panicky set of neighbors. I can assure you that all my pyromania tendencies pretty much ended there. My relationship with the Lucifers has changed a lot since then. But he has other ways of showing up. And that is also a concern in this text. Because it's a perennial struggle that Jesus sees on the timeline of human history that seems to have the same pattern over and over and over. And he knows that we have the ability to make a lot of choices. Should I speed to church or sh shouldn't I? Or should I go right at that place where I'm, well, I'm right on the money. I decided today I would go right on the money. Came here early, and there was a police officer sitting right where they don't normally sit. And I thought, Leonard, you're pushing it a little too close. Maybe you're Lucifer's now or your gas pep. I don't know. I'm just trying to say that we all can push it beyond the boundary. And when Jesus sees us do that time and time and time again, he knows that it's not just us wanting something like that, but it's also other forces at work that are trying to make that happen. And Jesus sees how these forces can begin to take over a person's life. Now, one thing I discovered this Christmas is, because my wife and I have kind of been doing sort of a keto sort of diet, and we had lots of noodles, lots of mashed potatoes, lots of cookies, lots of cinnamon rolls. I'll just stop there. Right? Because my plan was, if I can just show this picture of, in relation to the question, how do I know there might be a devil at work in my life? A picture of dumping gas on a fire, if we can put it up there. All right, here's me. Then there's only 
kind of put a few extra calories in there. But I'll tell you, Christmas Eve, my wife made some cookies that she'd never made before. I binged on them. I was kind of being clandestine. And then I remembered that uh, because I have a touch of ADHD, it was affecting that. And then a thought occurred to me that I have to preach tonight, and it's not going to be a normal routine. So I got to really be in my head and on my game. And I came here, and I thought, Leonard, your thoughts are going in 10 different directions, kind of like they used to when you didn't realize sugar had that effect on you. So I've stayed away from it because I dumped a little gas on the fire. It was good. And then this little voice said, you need some more. Oh, no, I can't. No, you do. It's only once. You need some more. And I had some more. Now, can I just get a witness here? Is there anybody in this room that can identify with what I just went through? Oh, thank the Lord. Yeah, because I feel like I'm so alone sometimes when this happens. Like, I'm the only one. But isn't it good to come to church and know that we all have our struggles? And that this is a place, hopefully, that we're trustworthy enough that we can, we can work through them together. Because I also know something else about the picture that we're looking at. And I didn't show him, but he's, he can also be at work in this equation if we want him to be. But most of us, we tend to leave him out until we've dumped too much gas on the fire. And we're running away from it as quickly as we can before the thing just erupts into absolute flames. Now, perhaps that 70 extra calories is something else that you just say just a little. I know a lot of people self-medicate with alcohol during this season. Just a little more. And then they maybe fall off the wagon. And, or some people say, I'm going to push into my anger just a little bit because my emotions have been pretty raw for the month of December. Just a little bit more. And then all of a sudden, we're saying things and doing things that we're like, I can't believe I even went there. Jesus knows that this is our vulnerability. That we are living in an environment that is not Switzerland in any spiritual sense where it's neutral. But rather, there are forces at work behind the curtain. There's a, there's a book that came out in the 40s, I think, by a man named C.S. Lewis. And perhaps you've heard of it. It's called The Screwtape Letters. And it's one of those books that I remember reading without really understanding demons and evil and stuff like that, not really having a category for it. And I read it, and I was like, okay, is there a demon in my car? Is there a demon underneath my bed? Is there a demon over there? Something bad just happened. There must have been demons. And you find yourself not really knowing how to relate to that. Well, this is actually a comedy. And it's a comedy from Jesus' point of view as much as it is C.S. Lewis's point of view. Because essentially, it is about the bureaucracy of the demonic. That like there are, there are demons that are, well, they're low capacity, not real bright, and yet their job is to make our lives miserable for their master. There are those in the bureaucracy that are a little bit higher up who are the managers of them. And then there are those who are the go-tos for them, and then there are those who are near the top of the organizational chart. 
And essentially, that's how he paints the picture, that evil is actually organized in that way, and there is one who is in control, and he's telling all of these forces, we have a job to do here. And it is to undo those who are made in the image of our enemy. And that would be God, of course, and Jesus would be their enemy. And that kind of talk is sort of scattered throughout the book. But essentially, what happens is, as the story unfolds, it gets a little ridiculous because the demon is assigned to a person who is trying to access some power, but in the end, he turns to Jesus. And then the demon's job is to actually try to get him to not take that so seriously and to water it down and to not think about Jesus in a way that will very powerfully and effectively help him through life. I won't tell you how it ends, other than to say one thing that it did for me was it left me feeling like I don't have to be so concerned, but I do have to be aware that it is at work, and at times I have to be aware that I don't want to be a party to that work. But when Jesus sees you and I, and he sees this person who is mute, he knows that they've somehow gone through some kind of process in their relationship leading to this full-on influence. And I really think that demons work in this way, where they look at our lives and they say, as soon as they do something that's sinful, we're going to do two things. We're going to accuse them, but we're also going to nudge it on. If you're a little bit upset at the police officer for pulling you over, well, let's just nudge it on a little bit further and just, why don't you just let him have it and tell him, you know, what you really think. Or you're upset about a person who's cut you off in traffic and you think, man, that wasn't, that wasn't right. And you're processing all the ways that you can get even. And you're probably thinking right now, well, Leonard, that's a little window into your soul, isn't it? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It's just an illustration. But the bottom line is, any way, any time that we want to cross that line where we say, why don't we do this even though, well, even though greater wisdom says you shouldn't? It opens us up. And there might be a devil at work. I'm not saying that he's at work in your life right now, but I'm guessing that at some point in each of our lives, <clears throat> one shows up. And maybe we even feel it a little bit. <clears throat> and I would say that <clears throat> if somebody asked me, I would tell them, well, look, look for these things. And this is what, I, this is what I'd ask. Um, when the forces of chaos regularly overcome the, the orderliness of your, your life, when things start to come in that disrupt your life so much, maybe it's the devil at work. Now, I, I thought it was kind of interesting when I was looking at the cross-section of people that have been leaders in this church uh, in, the, in the past year or so and how pretty much every one of them who played a role, both uh, staff and 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 and, and non-staff, informal leaders, elders. I, I've just seen them go through some really challenging times. And my first thought wasn't, well, they've invited this in, but rather, this doesn't like what they're doing. And so forces come in, they disrupt, they take away our plans, our joy. But sometimes we invite them in and they start to, well, they start to just basically undo everything. I was actually asked some time ago to um, 
received a phone call from somebody. Their child was waking up in the middle of the night, and it was consistently at the same time, and they swore that they were seeing something in their room. And they asked me what to do, and I went over, and I talked to the person. And I shared that, um, you know, if there is something here, it's an old house, maybe something happened, I don't know. I don't really have a map for all that stuff. All I can tell you is that um, a lot of times kids go through these things, and sometimes there is something there in my experience. And what I suggested was that they bring the Lord into greater focus in their lives. What was interesting is when I walked in and I started talking, I, I just saw chaos everywhere. And my hope was somehow I could help that person to see that Jesus has a way of bringing your life back into order. I don't know what the unseen things that were happening in that child's life that were so disruptive, but I'm sure Jesus knows, and that applies to each of us. And we live in this moment where we're hearing voices all the time that are provocative of our fear, like in the future this could happen or in the future that could happen, and we stay in that place where we're not even in the moment. And maybe there might be a devil at work saying, yeah, be thinking and worried about the future because it may not be good. And in screw tape letters, they talk about how one of their missions is to get people to think so much about the future that they are not even in the moment. Trusting the Lord of time, of the future, of space, of our lives, of this world, to provide our daily bread. And when I'm always looking for the next thing that will leave me feeling defeated, I just know there are forces at work in the world that are going to undo me. Yeah, that was a good thing, that was a good thing, that was a good thing, but there's that. And maybe, maybe the devil likes to say, let me show you what that is, that potential thing. Perhaps um, it gets a little bit more drastic because my life is starting to fall apart, things are starting to unravel. It might be time to bring the Lord close. Well, I have another question. I'm going to skip to that slide. And that is, how do I know there's a devil strongly influencing my life? Now, this is what I've seen as well. And it's simply this. Uh, let's move out. Let's move to the next one. Yeah, that, that one. That, yeah, that one there. Perfect. Okay. When, I'm going to show you a picture of a marionette. Is that on there? This is a way of saying, I have no control of my time. I have no control of my day. I have no control of my life. And maybe some of you have even been there where salary is just another name for we own you. Maybe, maybe it's a honey, never mind. I was going to say honeydew list, but no, that, we won't go into that dynamic. Other than to say that God has made us so that we by design are and should be able to make our own choices, but when evil takes hold like it did, in Jesus' day, this effect was so strong that the person couldn't even talk. And these forces outside were defining what this person could and couldn't do in that realm. Now, I don't know what other effects it had, but clearly everybody knew that this is something evil. And Sometimes as a pastor, I mean, I don't see this very often where people are 
really just unable to do something. But I do know this. When I, when I see somebody who is in a lot of confusion, when they say they want to come to church, but they don't come to church, or they promise this, but they are not, unable to fulfill that, which is all of us to some degree, but when it is so chronic and so embedded, you know that maybe there's something else there keeping them away from the Lord. And as a pastor, I have to ask the question, because they're being shut down, and they're living in that chaos, and they're not able to make choices that actually are beneficial that they can follow through in their lives i have to wonder in some manner they're not living under the care and the dominion and the kingdom of god now i'm not trying to make anybody feel like um you're being possessed in that way because i, I really don't believe that demons possess you as much as increase in their ability to influence you based on how much they've been able to get in. But at the end of the day, this person had lost their voice. Do you know what it means to lose your voice? Now, I've come up here with laryngitis, and I've discovered that if I drink a little bit of vinegar before I preach, I may go behind the scenes and do something with that, or I may keep it down, and it somehow clears up my throat. But we're talking about something much deeper, where a person loses the ability to express to the people around them their convictions, the things that are on their heart. They're really just in a place where they don't feel like they are given permission to speak up. And that's a challenge. Sometimes it's a relationship that you have with somebody where you don't have a voice anymore. And that's not healthy. But whoever this person was, Jesus gave it back to him. And what I'd like for you to consider is his whole aim by design is to give our lives back to us. Because you may be fully affected where you are that person, or you may be dumping a little bit of gas on the fire, and there's another voice saying, let's dump a lot of gas on the fire. Or you may just be simply like so many people, myself included, where there was a time before Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior that the scripture by definition says, I lived under the dominion of the kingdom of darkness. And I, in my own capacity, by no means had the strength to remove myself from that influence. And when Jesus came into our world, he saw that a lot of us were just in that space where we know we're uneasy with ourselves, our heart's not right, we get angry, we get, we get, um, uh, you know, we, we get this whole range of emotions that we don't like about ourselves. We say things to people that we wish we hadn't said. We perhaps do things that we live in a state of guilt and regret, and that delivers us to the, 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 the road uh, stop of shame. And as all those things are happening, Jesus looks at us and he says, they need a savior. Everyone needs a savior. And there's evil at work. And the sad thing is the evil is concentrated 
in the lives of the shepherds. And the only way you could tell the difference, Jesus said, was don't listen to what they say. Look at their fruit. By their fruit, you'll know them. It was sort of his way of calibrating our detector of what is in alignment with the things of God based on the pattern of behavior and the responses. And some of us, the fruit hasn't been good. And Jesus says, there's an answer. And ultimately, it will be the fruit of my spirit at work in your life. But you cannot experience the joy of that until you're with me. Because there's a dividing line here, and there's no Switzerland. You are either with me or against me. And if you're against me, then you are also aligned in ways that are not my ways. And Jesus pointed out the contradiction by saying, if I was aligned with the Lord of the flies, I wouldn't be telling his minions to leave. And yet you don't trust me enough, or you don't want me to do this, or you are against my purpose, whatever their agenda was as they, as they verbalize it to him, that you want me to stop. I know where I'm from. Where are you from? And I can only tell you that that's when people started to throw down, but behind the scenes. And I also want to tell you that there is an answer. How do I recover my life? It's a one-word answer. And it's not like, you know, little kid, you know, you ask him a question about the Bible, and the answer is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But it is like a little kid. You ask him a question about life, and you say, there's only one answer, and it's him. And they may say, well, how? And this is what I would tell them. I would say, just begin with him and take whatever it is that you're going through and work backward from him into your problem, asking him for his wisdom to come to bear upon whatever that is. And this is what I think will happen next. He will walk with you through it. Now, a lot of us just want him to rescue us and take us out of it. He does that when he transfers us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. But just about every other time, he's there, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'll, work, I'll walk with you through it. Because as we do, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to take that which is so broken and we're just going to fix it day by day. And I'm going to teach you what it means to live by the creational purpose that God set into motion a long time ago so that you can recapture who you are in him. And Jesus comes alongside us, and he says, this is how you go through this particular trial. This is how you face this particular test. I'm with you. Walk with me as I walk with you. And that's what I would tell him, Jesus. Because at the end of the day, Jesus wins. There's another book. I'm pretty excited about um, production that's coming up at the theater this, this spring called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Maybe you've read it. Maybe you know how it ends. But it really does capture where this is all going. 
and how he gets there and what it means for you and I. And so a little spoiler alert, the bottom line is we cannot save ourselves. We need a savior. We need to deliver because he sees a lot more that's happening in your life and happening upon your life that we can't even imagine that the only answer to our biggest struggle is to turn to him, to consent that he alone is Lord and Savior. When I asked this young gal about her house and her kid, I said, I'm coming here as a Christian. But you have to realize something. I'm not going to ask anything to leave here if you're not in alignment with where I'm at. I need to know where you're at with him. Do you believe in, your, in your, the deepest part of your being that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that he is your Lord and Savior? My reply was, yes, I believe all of those things. And I said, well, then let's get to work. We can do a lot of work together on that foundation, can't we? But if we don't share that foundation, we're just going to be dumping gas on fires and marionettes. I'm tired of that life, and maybe you're not about that life either. So I want you to invite, I want to invite you to him as we begin this new year. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, I know I've taken up a big chunk of your people's time this morning, but I also know that you've laid on my heart this picture of your victory over the forces of evil that work against us. And we can be at peace in that knowledge because we have your care, your protection, your angels surrounding us. But we also need to be aware, Lord, that... Um, he doesn't give up on us, and we need your strength. And I pray for those in the room who maybe haven't made the connection yet that they need a Savior. And I pray for people online who are gathering with us that that also would bring a, a sense of conviction in their heart as well about have I settled this with you, Lord Jesus? And I pray, Father, that we would. And then the rest of us who are just moving through life trying to live it out in the best way possible with all of these forces at work in us and against us, perhaps through us, we pray, Father, that you would help us to be the people that are the people like Jesus. And so we want to commit our church, ourselves, to you for that purpose as we move into 2022 and all God's people here said together, amen. amen. <clears throat> As we go into our communion times, please uh, take this time to open your, open those things we all hear opening. <laughs> um, this morning we sang in this song, uh, Before the Throne, which we opened up with today. We sang in verse two, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Communion is that time where upward we look to him. Um, and any time you feel those things, experience those things, feel some grating against you that uh, saying, no, this isn't quite right. This upward we look and see him there. Um, um, our heads shouldn't be so heavy, always looking down and always looking at self. Um, 
Maybe our necks should hurt from looking up to Christ so much. And um, communion is that time where we, it's, a, it's, it's remembering him, savoring him, seeing what, who he is and what he did, and bringing what we have that the Spirit brings conviction of, of in our hearts and a self-evaluation before him and leaving it there at the cross. Um, not taking our eyes off it, I'm not saying that, but laying it before him because he's, if you read the Bible and you, you, you understand that he's getty to help us, he desires for us. He wouldn't have came if he wasn't, and he's come. And so when the word convicts us, if we find something in us, if something of, that is uh, contrary to the truth comes up that we find in our life, Lay that before him. That's what Jesus' message was largely about today. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for your words. Father, thank you for your son. He spoke your words. And thank you for the spirit that convicts us of sin, righteousness, and the judgment. Hey, go this way, not that way. Here's where that leads. Lord, by the power of your spirit, would you lead us into better grounds, better pastures. Free us from those things. Reveal those things in our life that shouldn't be informing our identities. There's not a demon under every stone, but there are demons under things that we are drawn to and find ourselves yearning for. May those things that we find ourselves yearning for be satisfied in you alone, Jesus. Spirit, would you lead us there in great grace and mercy and kindness. And grant us the fruit of repentance as we lay things down before you. And may we find Christ to satisfy and fill up our that vacant spot that we would make vacant today as we pray to you and confess to you and take of the bread and the wine that symbolize your body broken and blood spilled to make for yourself a new people, fruitful. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. like to stand with us. If not, if you want to take your time with the Lord, please do. This song pretty well encapsulates uh, the battle that we have and the truth that uh, helps us to win it by focusing on it. And uh, when we're, we're confused, tell your doubt the truth and uh, that'll, that'll solve it. This song helps us to do that.
fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be own choosing, dost ask who that may be, Christ Jesus, it is he, the Lord of hosts, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the
Lord Jesus, thank you that you are that king of glory. You have won the battle. You will have ultimate victory, and we get to receive that as our own because you won it for us. We have nothing, no thing to ultimately worry about because your victory is that final. You said it is finished, and we believe you. With one little word, you will solve all of human history and all the problems therein. And all our problems will become a memory that doesn't even bother us anymore because of your final and finished work. Let us look no other place but you. Direct the eyes of our faith ever to you. And when it starts to fade, work in that moment too to do the same. And in every moment thereafter, it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right, everybody. We will see you next week. We love you. Uh, Digging Deeper will resume today. It's where it's kind of an open forum where we open the text up more if you'd like to remain after. We'll see you.